Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. administration flying thousands of migrants from the border to Florida and New York in the middle of the night? Uh, well, I'm not sure that it's in the middle of the night, but let me tell you what's happening here. Um, it is our... 4.29 a.m. Well, he, Very he, early in the morning. Here we are talking dawn. about early flights, earlier than you might like to take a flight. Um, it is our legal responsibility to safely care for unaccompanied children until they swiftly can be swiftly unified with a parent or a vetted sponsor. And that's something we take seriously. We have a moral, a right obligation to, uh, com- to do that and to deliver on that. As a part of the unification process, our Office of Refugee Resettlement facilitates travel for children in its custody to their families or sponsors across the com- country. So in recent weeks, uh, unaccompanied children pass through the Westchester Airport, which I think is what you're referring to, en route to their final destination to be unified with their parents or vetted sponsor. It's no surprise uh, that kids can be seen traveling through states, uh, not just New York. It's something that we're also working to unite children with their family members or vetted sponsors in other parts of the country as well. Into the nitty-gritty details, and the president is deeply engaged in those discussions. Uh, I think what you saw last night, what the American people saw last night, is that the president has rolled up his sleeves and he is deep in the details of spreadsheets and numbers and what the potential impact can be to help the American people. And uh, he's he was candid, and he was candid about where the negotiations stood and also wanted the American people to understand, as I just outlined, Joe Biden was sworn in as president, promising a more humane immigration system. Is the same year that an all-time record 1.7 million migrants have been detained at the southern border. Is that a coincidence? Thank you. So um, thanks for the question, Peter. Um, First, uh, I'll say that DHS will formally release its uh, monthly September operational update uh, sometime soon, so I'm not going to go into uh, get ahead of that or go into the numbers. I think that's what you're you're mentioning uh, right now. But secondly, you know, I would add, and you hear us talk about this all the time. We continue to enforce uh, Title 42 uh, and uh, expel single adults and families when possible, and we continue to be very, very clear that no one should attempt uh, to irregularly uh, migrate here or enter the United States. So it's unsafe. It's unlawful. It's a public health risk, which is why we're using Title 42, because it's not our immigration policy. It's a public health authority. And so those attempting attempting uh, to, to come in irregularly, migrate irregularly, will be subjected to border restriction, including uh, Title 42, as I just mentioned. And I still believe that Build Back Better will not add a dime to the national debt. Correct, it won't. Why, would he, why, why should Americans believe that? Because it won't. Go ahead. What if taxes that he says he wants to you know, get more taxes in? What if it doesn't happen? What if the economy goes sour? Lots of things can happen. Mm-hmm. What are you you're going to tell from up there future generations, not even born yet, that they're not on the hook for this? Is that right? 
That's right. And hopefully you'll report accurate information yourself. Go ahead. Welcome back. President Biden's approval ratings continue to plummet. A new Quinnipiac University poll finding only 37 percent of people are actually approving of the job that Joe Biden is doing. A full 52 percent say that they disapprove. When asked about the most urgent issues facing America, the top answers were the economy, COVID-19, immigration and health care. One of the biggest standouts of this poll, the border wall. 45% of people support building a wall along the border with Mexico. 49% oppose. That is the lowest level of opposition since the question was first asked in 20. And Seltzer, uh, you asked about President Biden. We see uh, in, uh, in what you found, uh, he's facing some of his lowest approval ratings yet. He's 30% approval, 50%. Uh, uh, disapproving. Which voters, what issues uh, do you see behind this? Right. Well, in terms of issues, we, we asked for approval ratings and how he's doing with immigration, which where he scored very poorly, just 27 percent approving. We also took a look at how he's doing with COVID. COVID and sadly, this is, you might say, is the high watermark for him. He still doesn't get 50 percent approval uh, on how he's doing with COVID, COVID, and that's his benchmark issue. He also only gets 36 percent approval with the economy. And as the economy goes, so goes the president's stand, standing. So it's no surprise that that number at 36 is almost exactly what his overall numbers are for approval. Two groups I would call out. One is that he is, uh, gets more disapproval by a lot with independence um, than approval. So it's almost a two-to-one ratio, twice as many disapproving as approving, and independents were crucial. To and you have a member of the House wearing this on the floor. I think it's a, a, a natural evolution from where we've been going over most of this past year, which has been basically, you know, what the, the Biden folks hoped was going to be there in, in Congress, uh, you know, hoping that the fever, quote unquote, as they put it, was going to break after Trump was not going to break. That Trump has these diehard supporters and there are people who, frankly, are not in Congress at this point to legislate. They're in Congress to troll and they're in Congress to get attention and they're in Congress to, to you know, best basically attack and not to do something that involves working with other lawmakers. And, and that's what you see. I mean, this is not there's nothing serious about this. This is literally done so that he will get attention. And it's working. It's just that it involves being on the House floor, which once upon a time was supposed to be something more of a, a respected space and a space that was treated differently. And as we saw on January 6th, there are plenty of people who don't see it that yeah, way. This is a single entendre, by the way. Uh, you explained it very well, what Let's Go Brendan means. But it's just a, a mass that says F. Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. That's what it's yes. doing. And that's yes. from a U.S. congressman on the House floor. Yes. I, look, this is, this is, it's, it's a huge breach of a norm that you would, I don't even know how to describe this as a norm because this is just something that I never would have even imagined somebody was going to be doing, was wearing a mask with that message. But again, the goal is all about agitating. The goal is all about getting people upset. That's the point. I think there's that, that Adam Serwer column about the cruelty is the point. You know, mm -hmm. the trolling is the point too, and, and that's where we're at now. But again, as you say, we are talking about a sitting congressman. And this chant is getting mainstreamed. I went to the beach the other day with my kids. There's a guy with his Jeep parked on the beach with a flag flying that says F. Joe Biden. And I walked by and I shook my head. Uh, and I said, look, there are kids here. He said, what is it, man? It's a free country. Last time I checked. The mainstreaming of a chant that is actually about F the president of the United States is not patriotic. It's trollish. 
There's absolute free speech. Folks can do what they want. When members of Congress are bringing that kind of language, you can't then repair and talk about the need for civility and respecting a president when he's from your party. Yeah, look, it's on the House floor. The, guy, the guy's wearing an F. Joe Biden mask Correct. on the on the House floor, and it's just, you know. I think we're so far past the point of what has been normal in the past. There are so many examples of things that in a pre-Trump world would have outraged everybody. People would have lost their positions. They would have got, faced all kinds of consequences. That ship has sailed. We are in a post-Trump world, and every, the, we are seeing the rules act. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 27th of October, year of our Lord, 2021. And they went there. We're going to get to it. Vulgarity is a problem, folks. Because these people are all fucking hypocrites. They're just fucking hypocrites. I want to start with that. Because that is just perfect. That is everything that's wrong with our country. These are the people that are running the country. They think they know everything. And she wished herself a happy birthday. Yeah, she went there. She said, hey, to the future president, because, you know, that's that's what we do. We all say that. Um, I I just I sometimes this stuff is funny and you go, "Okay, this is funny with her. It's not funny, and I can't get my slides to work. So, once again, something's wrong with the program. I can't figure out how to make the program work anymore. Something's missing, but we're going to do it manually. So, I want to get into polls again. Understand, him and Camilla Harris are the lowest ever. It's the most drop anybody's had in the front year Front year of the presidency. But you're not going to hear about it, because why would we? His approval is 42. It's 37 on some. It's it's really bad. This shit's really bad. But when you have a media that protects people like this shit show on CNN, most Americans just don't know. Don't pay a cent. We've heard in the news that the proposal for two years of free community college may be cut from your economic package. Um, an educated citizenry is absolutely crucial to solving like climate change. Uh, and the systematic um, inequities in this country. Uh, we hope that this is not cut from the package, but if it is, what can you do to ensure that all Americans can get the education that they need to face these issues? One of the largest issues that people have trouble comprehending the severity of is climate change. Many legislators and politicians today are lenient as they won't have to live with the future effects. Without the legislative support for the climate aspects of your budget proposal and the earth rapidly approaching the Paris Agreement's 1.5 degrees limit, what other backup plans do you have to ensure a future for the next generations? I want to just bring up the, the current labor market shortages. Millions of jobs are unfilled. Businesses are struggling to meet demand. Is there anything you can do to either encourage people to go back to work or make jobs more attractive that they want to go back to work? With the current supply chain crisis, small businesses are in jeopardy of not being able to get products that they we need. Are. 
because priority is given to large businesses. Does your administration have any policies or plans in place to aid the current supply chain problem and or to help small businesses that are affected by this? You received overwhelming support from the black community. And rightfully so, rightfully so. But now many of us are disheartened. Yep. As we watch a Congress fail to support police reform, we watch our voting rights vanish before our very eyes. <laughs> Mr. President, my question is, what will you do over the next three years to rectify these atrocities, secure our democracy, and ensure that freedoms and liberties that all Americans should be entitled to? Let me ask on, on voting rights, if it is as important to you as you say, I think there's a lot of Democrats who look at the filibuster uh, and would like to see it changed, even if it's just on this one case. Why do you oppose that? My final question is, you famously, uh, at the signing ceremony, I think, I think it was for Obamacare, you famously leaned in to the then president, and I'm not going to say a direct quote, but, but <laughs> off mic you said, this is a big effing deal. And I'm wondering, the Build Back Better plan, is it a bigger effing deal than that? Anyway, so there's, there, 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 but I, I don't, I must tell you, I don't have a near-term answer. There's two things I could do. I could go in the Petroleum Reserve and take out and probably reduce, re reduce the price of gas maybe 18 cents or so a gallon. It's still going to be above three bucks. Mm. And one of the things that I refused to have happen because I didn't want anybody. I made a commitment. If you pass the stuff I'm talking about, not not one single penny in tax would go against anybody making less than 400 grand. And so if you notice, this is these highway bills are not paid for by gas tax. They're paid for by direct expenditures in other areas. Mm. So the average person doesn't have to pay more. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. There's Let a me, possibility to be able to bring it down. Depends on a little bit on Saudi Arabia and a few other things that are in the open. We have fewer democracies in the world today than we did 15 years ago. Fewer. Not more. Fewer. Cannot be sustained. That's why from day one of my administration, I've taken concrete steps to put human rights back at the center of our foreign policy and reassert our moral leadership on the global stage to lead, as Chris has so often heard me say, with the power of our example, not the example of our power. Now, I don't know who tells him to whisper. The cornholio was very funny. But he made a white power symbol. We were told it's a white power. That's that's what we were told. They said you can't do that. You just can't do that. But Reuters published a fact check on President Biden making the white power symbol. U.S. President Joe Biden hand gesture CNN Town Hall in Baltimore did not indicate white power, contrary to claims on social media. He made the hand gesture while staying saying corporate pays zero cents in response to a question about tax rates. 
Around timestamp 1403, he can be heard saying, you have 55 corporations, for example, United States of America, making over $40 billion, they don't pay a cent. Not a single red cent. He made the gesture pointed on the social media when saying, don't pay a cent. There's no indication his gesture had any connected with the white power. A transcript of the event is viewable on CNN. Verdict. Missing context. So you're saying it's strictly context that determines if he's indicating zero white power. Maybe he was just saying okay, or maybe he was inducing a three-point shot in basketball. No, I'm sure he was indicating quality pizza. No, it was definitely white power. I saw it. It happened. Please revise. The reality is we try to take down plebes. Plebes. Do we remember that the, everything we do now, they forget that we're not stupid. Google can suppress it. Twitter can correct it. CNN can do this. Facebook can censor you. It doesn't change the fact that we remember what you just did last year. Joe Biden can't even do a pre-scripted town hall with CNN Democrat propagandist hosts without still looking like a creepy, brainless, incoherent, embarrassing, whispering weirdo. White House staff was busy during last night's town hall fact-checking their boss, Biden, in real time. Staff issued clarification on a range of Biden remarks, including on the supply chain crisis, to raising taxes, and even Taiwan. Attention, fact checkers. Biden says he hasn't had time to visit the border, but he's been there before. Played it. As Biden builds a wall around his beach house. So walls are fine to keep you people out. But the record 1.8 million motherfuckers that we've arrested. I could do it now. Biden did it. We arrested 1.7 million. That means more people came across the border. It's supposed to work. I, I don't think it is. The, the reality is this is what you expect. This is what we're going to get. This is what these people are. There's nothing you can do to change it. When Democrats are in power, you get shit like this. The Atlantic. Supply chain problems can be solved more quickly if Americans would stop buying things, yeah, that'll fix it. There's no problems. We have plenty of stuff. And instead of looking at the fact that our economy's garbage, everything's falling apart, you can't even get eggs, still where I live. HBO rolled this out. January 6th started off pretty much like any other day. It wasn't until I started listening to the speeches that I felt that day was going to be a bad day. You have to show strength. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. I work in what should be one of the most secure buildings in the whole world. It just never occurred to me that a mob would get into the Capitol building. When you really believe a tyrannical government is taking over the country, you're going to have some crazy stuff go down. It was soccer balls, truck drivers. It was America. People with pitchforks, baseball bats sticking out of their bag. People in full, like, tactical outfits. Pepper spray started coming out. Gas grenades started going off. It just broke into pure anarchy. Individuals themselves aren't usually a problem. But when they get together and they create a mob, the mob is the weapon. To hear the radio transmissions is very chilling. 13, 13 hours, capital has been breached. I had all these thoughts in my mind, like, could there be a shootout on the United States Senate floor? Everybody was making a call to someone, the last phone call. I just started to pray. 
I have literally bled for this country in combat. And they were all yelling, you're traitors to your oath, enemy of the people. And it was like, how fucking dare you? They wanted to stop this election. If we were in the way, they were going to kill us to do it. I didn't think I was going to go home that day. Communications in line with combat. Multiple capital injuries. I just watched her, her life drain right out of her eyes. 40 or 50 officers battling 15,000 people. I've been a police officer for two decades. A mob grabbed him. He was having difficulty breathing. You don't have to take my word for it. Watch my body-worn camera footage. Peaceful patriots. Started getting tased at the base of my skull. Very frightening situation. Kill him with his gun. Pure chaos. He has raised his edge. Heart attack. Traumatic brain injury. Take away their weapon. I just... I still haven't made sense of it. January 6th wasn't a riot, it's a war. The Atlantic. Four hours on the Capitol, new HBO documentary is vivid, terrifying picture of violent insurrection. What do words mean? It was a genocide. They're just making the shit up. They're just fucking making it all up. Right-wing media is playing this guy. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we need to go, I'll say it. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail for Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. not even indicted he's never been indicted it's all over the media i mean you just have to go to social media and you see it but they're not going to do that why the fuck would they do that why i mean these fucking people are broken they have lost anything that even remotely fucking resembles journalism this guy was a federal agent. We all know he's a federal agent. It's just a reality. Other straight up bullshit. Drew Holden nukes towing the Falky Line media epic thread about NIH. The NIH announced a bombshell despite what Dr. Falky said under oath. U.S. taxpayers paid for gain of function. 
I hope the outlets will have it. First, a bit of context. Today, NIH contradicted Dr. Fauci and others, clarifying that a grantee, the EcoHealth Alliance, had conducted research supposedly without NIH knowing to see if bat coronavirus jumped to human receptors in mice. We were funding it. So I could play it. Here's CNBC. They love this. They made it a headline. If anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. Fauci tells Senator Paul in a heat exchange, you don't know what you're talking about. That's another web, that's from CNN. I, I can list all this. I used to. I'm not doing it. Rand Paul, I told you so. Didn't even, don't even begin to cover it here. Richard Albright, NIH corrects untruthful assertions. His wife, who's been assaulted by people. While Rand has been down demanding transparency for Falcon over years, lowbrow hacks like Brie Brianna Keller, sorry, responded by calling Rand a ass on air, giggling. Gail King fangirled Falke and ridiculed Rand, ignoring the point of his question. Have any comments now, Gail and Brianna? I stand by my characterization of Senator Paul, and I'll explain in a moment. But first, on this letter from NIH, some important points. The virus that was studied in the research per NIH could not be the SARS virus that caused COVID and champ. And then she just blames, she just spins. It goes on for 10 tweets. She's a fucking liar. Because CNN is running people vaccinated against COVID-19 less likely to die from anything. Yeah, because we've been counting every death as COVID. So that totally is true. Same people. Science. It's all about science. It's fucking comedic. I mean, if you just look for two seconds, you just go, yeah, okay. And then we have Matt Visser. Earlier this week, when President Biden visited his hometown, Scranton, PA, he was greeted by a handmade sign, Fuck Joe Biden, held by a woman standing on Biden Street. Ashley Parker Carissa Maron, the increasing vulgar taunts directed at Biden. Biden's critics hurled increasingly vulgar taunts. It's a WAPO article. They also said, fucking... We're not going to push Let's Go Brandon because now it's number one and two above Adele and people have thoughts. They don't like it. But let's go down memory lane because this is the sum of everything that we do. Former Mexican president, he will not pay for Donald Trump's fucking wall. She put an obscene anti-Trump message on Trump and was arrested. Now she might sue. YG's political message is blunt as it can be. Lady on the side of the road flipping off the fucking motorcade. Do we remember this shit? I remember this shit. I remember it so much. I could play a montage of how it's okay. And I could play violins right now, but let's just read it. A couple pictures. Boise, Idaho, on a quiet street south of downtown Boise, Michael Dick is festooned his front yard with homemade signs, including a large yellow placard that facetiously thinks President Biden for growing list of grievances, $4 a gallon gas, inflation, Afghanistan, another part of town alongside a no trespassing sign, Michael Schwartz, 60, used black spray paint to scrawl Joe Blows. And the mild comparison for the sentiment some people, largely in conservative areas, are expressing in the front yards on Wednesday when the president visits Scranton, blah, blah, blah. I'm not the only Republican who doesn't like Biden. Johnson 60 had said in an interview, proud white American hat and puffing a skinny cigar. He's a piece of shit. He had a hat on that said proud white American. And he was smoking. 
During the 2020 presidential campaign, one of Biden's political superpowers was his sheer inoffensiveness, the way he often managed to embody even those who didn't like him. The innocuous grandfather, the bumbling uncle, the leader who can make America calm, steady, even boring after four years of Trump. But it's clear that after nine months in office, Biden, or at least what he represents, is increasingly becoming an object of hatred to many Trump supporters. The vitriol part partly reflects Trump's own repeated baseless claims that Biden is usurping, depriving the rightful claim of the presidency, and partly stands for Biden's actions that Republicans deplore, from spending plans to immigration. Yet the anger also demonstrates how a political party or cause often needs an enemy, a target, a vilification that can unite its ad- adherents, and in any case, one refracted through the harshness, no more breaking and vulgarity of the Trump era. Let, let, for fuck's sake! You gotta be kidding me! You're still running on Trump! I'm not reading anymore. They're just saying fuck shouldn't happen. Breaking Facebook to change its hate speech policy to include posts that say, Let's go, Brandon. Think I'm making it up since my shit's broken? I need to do something because it's not working. Buddha. Boudet. There it is. AP, a tweet falsely claimed Facebook has changed its policy and hate speech to prohibit its slogan popular amongst critics of President Biden. The users who originated the claim told AP it was satire, but many social media users spread it and it was not true. It's happening. People are having it happen. Let me get to the article. Byron York. And I, and I have to, oh, well, let me do this one too. Because this is good and I apologize. I, I think I need to update this. Something's broke. Adele booming at radio but temporarily knocked off iTunes to stop by moronic anti-Biden song. Hmm. It's moronic. Yeah. Okay. Joe Lieberman promotes centrism opposed by, uh, by, here we go, Biden F-word politics. Recently, the Washington Post published a new article, Biden's critics hurl increasingly vulgar taunts, exploring what the paper says is a growing phenomenon of people around the country directing raw insults at the president. As an example, the paper points to President Joe Biden's recent visit to his hometown of Scranton, blah, blah, blah. The Post also notes the let's go Brandon phenomenon, if anyone doesn't know, he breaks it down. All this derision directed toward the president has disturbed some in the media, Biden is increasingly becoming an object of hatred to many Trump supporters, the Washington Post said, with boos, jeers, and blah, blah, blah. The current eruption of anti-Biden signs and change, however, is another level of far more vulgar and widespread. In case you've forgotten the level of hostility directed towards Trump and his prominence of those attacking the president far exceeded anything seen so far with the Biden administration. To illustrate the point, just focus specifically on the phrase, fuck Trump. In June 28, the actor Robert De Niro went to Tony Awards. Fuck Trump. In 2020, Los Angeles Art Gallery did a whole art show of Fuck Trump. In 2017, rapper Eminem, Fuck Trump. These are just three of hundreds. Anyone paying any attention during the time will remember them. But now the Washington Post says there's a new phenomenon. One that's on another level, far more vulgar and widespread. Does anyone really believe that? 
I might be baracking to say fuck Trump prepared the way for the age of fuck Joe Biden. But that is not entirely true. Why some are indeed saying fuck Joe Biden. It's worth recognizing the let's go Brandon phenomenon is all about suggesting rather than explicitly about creating a new euphemism that avoids the F word altogether. Surely that's worth something. As a post suggested, insulting the president is a long history. But it's fair to say that the fuck Trump years were a pretty robust time for presidential insults. In some circles, the event of the period served to normalize saying fuck the president. So why should anyone be surprised it's happening now? More importantly, it is a fuck the media. And that's what they're upset about. Because here's a reporter clearly saying fuck Biden. Clearly. That's what they were saying. But they covered they always cover. They cover for every fucking thing. There is new proof. Here it is. There was a memo. They said just put unscreened people. We want anybody. Not the people that worked with our country for years. Well, they didn't want that. There's proof that McAuliffe is working with the legal team. Is defending the kid that raped people. That's a segment we're about to go in. Yeah, that's not being covered in the media. Because... That would hurt McAuliffe, and it's a bellwether, and he's got to win. And then this. I'm just going to leave it up as I talk about a few other things. And then we're going to go into the total shit show. Trump would be impeached for that letter. We impeached him on less. Yesterday, I sent a letter to Falcon replying cruel taxpayer-funded experiments on puppies. There's like four of them we found now. Brian Seltzer, Florida Governor DeSantis, a regular on corporate media shows like Mike Baronimo, says we all know corporate media lies, okay? They don't tell the truth. Assume what they tell you is false and then figure out what they're telling you is a false narrative. GOP anti-media streak summarized governor of one of the biggest states in the U.S. says citizens should assume news outlets are lying to them. You do that on your show every day about Fox. Every fucking day. Every fucking day. And I want to play this. So you keep hearing Democrats say we need to find out exactly what happened on January 6th. And actually, we strongly agree with that. At a recent hearing in Congress, Thomas Massey of Kentucky confronted our highly partisan Attorney General Merrick Garland with this footage. It's of a man called Ray Epps, who apparently lives in Arizona. Epps was in Washington the night before January 5th. He was encouraging Trump supporters to enter the Capitol building illegally, he said it numerous times. Now, in this clip, some people in the crowd immediately decided this guy must be working for the federal government. Watch this. We need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm going to put it out there. I'm probably going to go to jail tomorrow. We need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. So here's a guy telling Trump supporters they need to break the law and go into the Capitol. That's real video. And they say no. And then they accuse him of being an undercover federal agent. So that's pretty interesting. That guy was on tape encouraging people to break the law. 
organizing what happened that day. Has he been indicted? Who or where is he exactly? Well, Congressman Massey asked the Attorney General about that, and the Attorney General refused to answer. He also pointedly refused to say how many federal operatives were there in the crowd that day on January 6th. As far as we can find, this individual has not been charged with anything. You said this is one of the most sweeping investigations in history. Uh, have you seen that video or those frames from that video? So as I um, uh, said at the outset, uh, one of the norms of the Justice Department is to not comment on impending investigations and particularly not to comment about uh, particular scenes or particular individuals. Can you tell us without talking about particular incidents or particular videos, how many agents or assets of the federal government were present on January 6th, whether they agitated to go into the Capitol and if any of them did? So I'm not going to violate this norm of, uh, of, of uh, the rule of law. I'm not going to comment on an investigation that's ongoing. Oh, he doesn't want to violate the rule of law, says the guy who just called angry parents terrorists. Of course, the DOJ leaks all the time the details of tons of different investigations that are politically useful to them. Now, just to be totally clear, we don't know whether this Epps guy was working with the federal government. We don't know anything about him, haven't talked to him. We can only show you video from that day. But we do know it doesn't seem like he's been punished for this. If you're looking for the people who organized that day, maybe you should talk to him. Has he been indicted? Not that we know of. Maybe he has been. We don't know it. But we haven't seen any evidence that he has been. A new piece in Revolver News notes that the FBI removed a photo of Ray Epps from its most wanted page this summer, right after Revolver News reported on the story. Darren Beatty is with Revolver News. He runs it. He joins us tonight. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. So I would recommend you, you have an enormously detailed piece today up on your site, really doing the reporting that legacy news organizations ought to be doing and absolutely aren't. And I would recommend it to, to, to our viewers. Um, but tell us specifically, we don't know the truth, but I, what have you found out about this man encouraging others to break the law in Washington? Yeah, so here are some of the key points about Ray Epps in the Revolver.News article that you mentioned. First, and we got some of an idea from this from the clips you presented, he is calling for going into the Capitol the evening before January 6th. And this isn't just a one-off, someone some crazy who comes and goes. No, he goes repeatedly to group after group, redirecting them, saying we need to go into the Capitol. And sure enough, on January 6th, it's a veritable where's Waldo. He's everywhere. He's all around the Capitol shepherding people to go to the Capitol where, quote, our problems are. And then 20 seconds before the very first breach of the Capitol, this individual, Ray Epps, whispers into someone's ear. Then 20 seconds later, we have the very first breach. So he's everywhere. And as you pointed out, very curiously, Ray Epps is not indicted. It doesn't seem like the feds want him or have any interest in him, although they did. They had him for a while on their most wanted page until Revolver.News did a report. Now, what's the significance of this timing? Well, there, there are two things. For one, there is a New York Times piece that had come out that essentially ran cover for the feds, but did it in a way that was counterproductive. It amplified the name of Epps, which wasn't convenient for the feds after Revolver had reported that the feds were likely involved in 1-6. 
But what it did do is said that Ray Epps was acting alone. And as you can see in this Revolver.News piece, Ray Epps seemed to be coordinating with a number of people in this initial breach, and many of those people also remain curiously unindicted. But perhaps the most damning thing, the FBI scrubbed Epps's face from their database, from their public database, um, just a day after Revolver ran a report on his fellow Oath Keeper, Stuart Rhodes, who is also unindicted. So there's just a cast of curious characters unindicted. It's, it's a really provocative and very detailed, very well-reported piece that, again, I would recommend to everyone watching tonight. Tim Beattie, we will talk to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, just to restate, we don't know the truth of this at all. It's awfully weird, though. I think any reasonable person would agree. Ray Epps is always welcome on this show. We always want to hear directly from people. So if you are Ray Epps and you're watching, please call us because we'd love to have you as soon as you want. From soup to nuts, the entire insurrection, sedition, worse than the War of 1812, worse than slavery, worse than everything, has been one big fucking lie it was all lies it's always been lies you knew it was a lie you said people were motherfucking killed with mother fucking fire extinguishers judge denies bond again for capital rider claimed he was trying to help officer Fanone. another guy got released because he decided to say he changed political parties and because he changed political parties, he got out of jail. But he can get out of jail. But he can't watch political TV. He can't do this. It is the most fascist fucking bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. But they have been lying since Trump got in office. Because they truly, in 100%, 10,000 fucking, just 10,000%. They believe that if any conservative becomes president, the world and democracy is done. They say it so much that they believe it. It becomes real to them. To them, it's all true. The world will end if you elect conservatives. So here's just a few lies just from this week. I am a politic, the media jerk-off of the week. So hot. The controversy over whether the U.S. was funding risky COVID research in Wuhan was kicked up again this week when the NIH released a letter about that research which showed that the subcontractor had not disclosed some results in a timely manner. Now, now some critics and analysts have seized on that to say you and others have misled the public about U.S. funding of this so-called gain-of-function research. The NIH says that's false. Our medical unit backs that up. But Senator Rand Paul stepped up that criticism in a new interview with Oxios on HBO. Let's play it. Dr. should be absolutely. by the president. Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, is just for lack of judgment of nothing else, I don't, you know, he's probably never going to admit that he lied. He's going to continue to dissemble and try to work around the truth and massage the truth. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Senator Paul, but also yeah. explain what was the United States funding, what wasn't it funding, and why that's important. 
Well, I, I obviously totally disagree with Senator Paul. He's absolutely incorrect. Neither I nor Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, lied or misled about what we've done. The framework under which we have got the conduct of research that we fund, the funding at the Wuhan Institute was to be able to determine what is out there in the environment in bat viruses in China. And the research was very under what we call a framework of oversight of the type of research. And under those conditions, which we've explained very, very clearly, does not constitute research of gain of function of concern. There are people who interpret it that way, but when you look at the framework under which the guidance is, that is not the case. So I have to respectfully disagree with Senator Paul. He is not correct that we lied or misled the Congress. It's just not correct, uh, that, I'm sorry. Right, and it showed that what, what was being researched was very far from the COVID, the SARS-CoV virus, but it did show that the subcontractor yeah. did not re release some results in a timely manner. What did we learn from the letter? Does it show that some of the research we were funding was riskier than we know? No, it isn't. We, we knew what, 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 what the risk was and what the oversight is. Certainly, they should have put their progress report in in a timely manner. No denial of that. And there will be administrative uh, consequences of that. But one of the things that gets mixed up in this, George, and it really needs to be made clear to the American public, there's all of this concern about what's gain of function or what's not, with the implication that that research led to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, which, George, unequivocally, anybody that knows anything about viral biology and phylogeny of viruses know that it is molecularly impossible for those viruses that were worked on to SARS-CoV-2 because they were distant enough molecularly that no matter what you did to them, they could never, ever become SARS-CoV-2. And yet, when people talk about gain of function, they make that implication, which I think is unconscionable to do, to say, well, maybe that research led to SARS-CoV-2. You can ask any person of good faith who's a virologist, and they will tell you absolutely clearly that that would be molecularly impossible. So things are getting conflicted. So what should we do differently in concrete ways? Feels to me like every day there's this slow gathering storm. We see this democratic backsliding happening, but what should the nightly newscasts and the newspapers and the AP and Reuters do on a daily basis differently? It should cover that on a daily basis. So that's, that's my point, is that, you know, there was a couple of weeks ago, there was more coverage about the failing of a news outlet I had never heard of frankly, and I suspect most Americans have never heard of. Yeah, and, and less about the backsliding of democracy. So rather than treating it as a one-off story here or there, treat it like we treat COVID coverage. Treat it like we treat uh, other major stories that have pose existential rules in the country by covering it every day in a clear pro-democracy slant, unbiased mm. slant, a pro-democracy slant. There's a new book out by Molly Hemingway. She's a Fox News contributor. Uh, it's called Rigged. Uh, it's supposed to be, you know, like the intellectual argument for how the election was stolen, um, you know, through big tech and, and through the media putting its thumb on the scale, et cetera. And Hemingway's been all over Fox in the past week, and she has been calling you out, among others, uh, because you are viewed as this Democratic lawyer, lawyer, lawyer boogeyman uh, who is out to, you know, in their minds, steal elections. So how do you handle that, you know, intense scrutiny, that coverage, that criticism from right-wing media? 
So as you can tell, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I tend to take it head on because I, I think that ignoring it, and this is one of the things, by the way, your show does extremely well. And frankly, I wish all of the media did what your show does, is you don't ignore the right wing Misin, uh, misinformation, disinformation, you take it head on. So that's really what I try to do. I try to call it out. I try to point out the inconsistencies and absurdities of it. But otherwise, we just need to keep our eye on the ball of focusing on protecting democracy going forward. Yeah, I appreciate what you said about this program and about, you know, some people are trying to call attention to this every day, every week. I think CNN every day is sounding these alarms. And one of my fears is that other networks, other major outlets are not and uh, they're going to regret it years from now, right? Isn't this ultimately about, yeah. you know, not ha let's not have regrets 20 years from now. That's exactly right, Brian. I don't, I can't speak to what it means for ratings tomorrow or next week. What I do know is that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when your children and your grandchildren look at this moment in time, they will celebrate those people who spoke forcefully and called this out. And they will be ashamed of those people who hid in the shadows and and, cre and created a sense of both sides. So mm. I, I agree with you. Mark, thank you for coming on. For more now on this kidnapping in Haiti, let's bring in our White House correspondent, Mary Alice Parks. Mary Alice, it's great to have you in the studio. We do appreciate it. So much at stake here. I would imagine the Biden administration following this very closely. Yeah, you can imagine this is just a nightmare situation. So delicate. We don't have a new comment from the White House yet. The, the national security team instead directing us to a very brief comment from the State Department overnight. They just said that the welfare and safety of U.S. citizens abroad is one of their highest priorities. They are aware of the reports. But like you said, you can imagine the White House is turning all their attention on something like this. And as Phil laid out there, it's just been one crisis after another. The assassination of the president, the earthquake, the economic ruin uh, following the pandemic. And now Americans caught right in the middle of this. It only further complicates U.S. policy in that country as well. Absolutely. Following the assassination of the Haitian lie. Some Haitians called for U.S. troops to come there to the country to help stabilize the situation. Obviously, that didn't happen, but we know that the U.S. has from time to time after the assassination, after the earthquake, sent teams of officials there to the ground. You can imagine this makes their work so much harder. And it could also politically wit make it harder for the U.S. to turn away any Haitian migrants that arrive at the southern border. So many of them have been making the argument that it is just not safe on the ground in Haiti. And the fact that American lives are at risk, too, really a game changer in all of this. Uh, Mary Alice, thank you. Major new developments in the effort to grab congressional seats, and it's all happening in broad daylight. John Avalon with a reality check. Defending democracy doesn't take a day off. And yesterday, Senate Republicans stonewalled Joe Manchin's compromise election reform bill. He'd spent months trying to gain their support with a balanced package that included national standards for early voting, including vote by mail, disclosure requirements for dark money groups, and even voter ID, a longtime GOP priority. But not a single Republican decided to join this effort, let alone the 10 needed to overcome the filibuster to even start a debate. It was just more evidence of Republicans' discomfort with majoritarian democracy. But Washington is just one front in this fight. The real action is occurring in the states where legislators are busy drawing congressional districts to benefit the party in power. And Texas just showed how rigged the system really is. You see, the Lone Star State gained two congressional seats after the latest census due to massive population growth in urban areas, 95% of which 
is attributable to people of color. But Republicans controlled the state legislature, and they weren't about to make the congressional districts more representative of the actual electorate, no. So they went to work drawing districts that artificially increased their own advantage, connecting suburban districts with sprawling rural communities, consolidating minority-heavy areas, and generally painting Texas red. What's clear is that while a minority of Republicans federal election reforms in Washington, simple majorities can pass intentionally unrepresentative partisan maps in the states. Either way, the will of the people is once again being trumped by the rigged system of redistricting, making real representative democracy the only sure loser. I want to dive right into your argument uh, about right. what both siderism is uh, and, and why it's failing the public. Who, who's, you know, is it that we're treating Democrats and Republicans equally and ignoring GOP radicalism? Is it radicalism? Is that the heart of the problem? In, in a sense, I mean, I, there's, no, there's no question that um, journalists are recognizing the radicalization of the Republican Party. Um, I think what's changed a little bit is that tr since Trump left office, there's more of a sense that, that maybe we're back to normal. Um, but it is, uh, you know, this is not a new problem or a new, you know, dynamic. I first started to chafe. You mentioned I was at the New York Times. Well, for 18 years before that, I was at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. I've never done my job. You know, it's more, to, more than a quarter century. I've never done my job or did as when I was a reporter any differently at both papers, even though the Journal is known as a conservative paper. The New York Times is a liberal paper. They both gave news the same way, which was fact-based. And I've try to always, I think I'm a very fair reporter and give both sides of the story, but what started to happen back in the mid-90s with the House by the House Republicans, and in particular Newt Gingrich, was a new, nasty, um, uh, I mean, his, his, his byword was be nasty, and a norms-busting um, and uh, obstructionist sort of uh, governance, well, you couldn't really call it governance, that, that sort of was a precursor for Trump. And, um, and it was, you know, when both sidesism is sort of like, you know, to be simplistic about it, is if you say, well, you've reported something that's somewhat critical of Republicans, then you sort of have to say something along the lines of, but both sides do it. Democrats are, are guilty as well. And for years, that was sort of, you know, simplistically, that was I was able to do that and everyone else was able to do that. But by <laughs> increasingly from 1995 on, no, it mm. was asymmetric as the political sign. And it was m more Well, I have you. I wanted to ask you about big tech as well, sure. uh, which is something you and I have discussed before. I want to show just for an example, Facebook, um, their profits, their nine billion, their tax rate, corporate 13 percent. That dovetails, I think, partly with what, what you're discussing in the economy, but I also wanted you to give us your updated views on holding them accountable. Um, you were on the beat once talking about a plan to break up big tech. Uh, we've covered that the Biden administration's agencies are actually going a little harder on that than before. Some of the nominees seem a little stronger, at least more skeptical. Um, but what's your view of what direction we're going and what more should Congress and the federal government do, if anything, uh, to hold big tech accountable right now? Look, the only way we're going to hold them accountable is to break them up. And I understand there are people who say, well, maybe we could regulate them a little better and we could put more cops on the beat. And look, I'm not opposed to that. It's just not enough to get the job done. 
we need to break them up. And the way we break them up is we say, yeah, it's kind of like with the phone company. You know how you can call me and I can call you even if we don't use the same telephone carriers? We need to be able to do the same thing with our social media, that I can call you and you can call me. And once we make that work and break them apart, now you've got 10 providers for those social media services, 50 providers for those social media services, and they're competing for our business. And that means I can pick one who says, you know what, I'm not gonna be selling your information to somebody else. And the consequence of that is to make the market work better. The second consequence is to deprive Facebook of the kind of enormous power that it now has. Think what it means that Facebook is scooping in information from every one of our exchanges, scooping it in and using it for its own benefit, for advertising, for selling to third parties, shoot, for playing footsie with dictators around the world. We need to break that up. I go back to Teddy Roosevelt, who said the reason you break up these big monopolies is partly for economic reasons, create competition, but it's partly because they pose a real political risk to the survival of a democracy. It is time to break up Facebook. Hmm. Really? Why, in your view, uh, having heard, heard your answer out just there, has there been such an appalling lack of consequences? And is it of good intentions, as I always say, is it because Democrats culturally tend to be former student council presidents who just happen to be involved in a gunfight with killers every day? Um, we've had some hardcore Democratic leaders in this uh, country's history who haven't lacked uh, for toughness uh, in the moment. In the, in the aftermath of the Second World War, when he was writing his memoirs, you know, Churchill uh, described it as the unnecessary war. And when he talked about the rise of fascism in retrospect, he said the malice of the wicked uh, was aided by the weakness of the virtuous. Um, none of this is unpredictable. Um, we have hundreds of pieces of malice legislation intended to deny people on the basis of skin color the right to vote. Um, we have hundreds of pieces of legislation uh, that have been filed aimed to nullify the results of a legal election uh, to declare the loser winner and other extreme politics and policies as we've seen this abandonment of a commitment to small l liberal tradition and policies um, to the American Republic to, to the idea of democracy. And again, it's important to understand democracy is the only moral form of government that's ever been, uh, because it's the only system of government that's ever been that places the individual, the human being, on top of the power of the state. All of the state on top of the human being, and that usually ends with- This is so exciting what they're trying to sell, and they've so poorly sold it. And that is what really Democrats should be asking themselves, how the hell could we be losing when we have a big plan and all they have is a big lie? I, I can't tell if just, you know, we're in, you know, immersed in this stuff every day and watching it every day and, you know, reading about it and following it. And I can't tell if, I, you know, 
maybe maybe it, it, i mean is or is it that bad i mean is it i i don't know i don't know i i mean I, going, people, I, people come question. up to me on the street all the time and yeah. are saying yeah. are you depressed like how, what do you yeah. think and i don't know like is this i've yeah. seen societies fall apart i've been to yes. you know bosnia i've seen this stuff up close um i'm not saying that's going to happen here but i don't know is it? No, I will see you one and raise you one. I lived in one of those societies in Beirut. I lived there during a civil war. And you know what I saw? I saw politician after politician think they could hack away at the government, promote conspiracy theories, and it would all be there. We'd all hold together until they took over. And then, then, then they would do maybe the right thing. And you know what happened after you do that for three decades? They actually hacked it apart. It fell apart. That's where Beirut is today. And once it's broken, it's gone. That can happen here. There's nothing granted about this government. It's just people and norms. And when those people start abandoning those norms that support those laws and those institutions, it can go. You can't just tell those lies over and over again until you get in power and then think the system's going to work for you. You know, these Republicans, you have people like Ted Cruz. You have people like, uh, you know, uh, Josh Hawley. These are people who are ready to burn down the country as long as they could be president of the ashes. That's what they're doing. As long as they can be president of the rubble, they're fine. And you know what? I mean, those people, when when society starts turning on itself, it turns on them as well. Like they think oh, yeah. that they're, you know, they went to Harvard or wherever they went. I mean, the the... So they knew the NIH was coming out that bring Fike Falke on to defend himself and lie. You have the guy with the steel dossier, Brian Seltzer. We completely know that's a fucking lie. They're using Haitian kidnappies. GOP is redistricting. Both parties redistricting. You shouldn't cover both sides. Facebook is ruining democracy. The GOP are killer and fascist. And then Tom uh, Friedman on Cooper's show, Cruz Hawley seek to burn down the country. And then we find completely, and this is going to be a long soundbite, Garland made a policy off a letter with no statistics. They have suppressed actual rape or they... We're charged, this 14-year-old kid in the dress, a dude in a dress who sexually assaulted people. It's all lies. Attorney General Garland, are you aware that because Loudoun County prosecutors confirmed that the boy who assaulted this young girl in Broad Run High School is the same boy who wore a skirt and went into a girl's bathroom, sodomized and raped a 14-year-old girl in a different Loudoun County High School on May 28th? Are you aware of those facts? The, the boy was, are you aware firmly, are you, Sorry, are you aware point. further that the boy was arrested and charged for the first assault in July but released from juvenile detention? It sounds like a state case, and I'm not familiar with it. I'm sorry. Do you agree with Loudon parents who said it is not okay to allow a child that has been charged with a rape to go back into a school in that public school system? Again, I don't know any of the facts of this case, but uh, but uh, the way you put it, it certainly sounds like I would agree with you. But FBI, I don't know the facts of the case. Is the FBI or the Department of Justice investigating the Loudon School Board for violating civil rights or under authority of, say, the Violence Against Women Act? 
I don't believe so, but I don't know the answer to that. I'd ask why not, because on June 22nd at a school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia, the superintendent, Scott Ziegler, declared in front of the father of the girl who had been raped that the predator, transgender student, or person simply does not exist. And that to his knowledge, we don't have any records of assaults occurring in our restrooms. When this statement bothered the father of the girl, I'm a father of a daughter, I believe you are too, sir. The girl who had been raped, sodomized in the bathroom of a high school by a dude wearing a skirt, that father reacted. Now that father reacted by simply using a derogatory word. Would that statement have bothered you if your daughter had been raped, if somebody said that it didn't occur? Again, I, I don't know anything about the facts of this case, but derogatory words are not what my memorandum is about. Well, the victim's mother is heard on a cell phone video telling the crowd what happened. My child was raped at school, she said. Behind her, the victim's father is seen being arrested, bloodied. This man, this arrest of a 48-year-old plumber, became the poster boy for the new domestic terrorism the Biden administration, the administration in which you serve has concocted to destroy anyone who gets in the way. Meantime, a judge in Loudoun County, Virginia, has ruled in the case of a male student accused of raping a female student in a Stonebridge High School restroom in late May, according to the attorneys representing the victim's family. They say the judge ruled the young man engaged in non-consensual sex. Sentencing will be next month. That case, you remember, made headlines when the girl's father cited the during a heated school board meeting. The superintendent said his office did not have any record of such an assault. He later said he wrongly interpreted the question and... sentence of your memo, very first, first sentence, you said, in recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, threats of violence. Yes. First review the showing this so-called disturbing uptick. So I read the letter and we have been seeing over time threats. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you. So you read the letter. That's that's your source. So let me be clear. This is not a prosecution or an is there some study, some effort, some investigation. Someone did that said there's been a disturbing uptick or you just take the words of the National School Board Association. When the National School Board Association, which represents thousands of school boards and school board members, says that there are these kind of threats, when we read in the newspapers reports of threats of violence, when that is in the context of threats of violence, the source all, for this, for the very first line in your in your mouth, time of the gentleman has expired. Was the school the board time association of the letter expired, Mr. Deutsch? We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars. This fake outrage that, that right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings and the fact that he's willing to go along with it instead of talking about serious problems that actually affect serious people, that's a shame. That's not what this election's about. That's not what you need, Virginia. Instead of forcing our communities to cut back at a time when we're just starting to recover, we should be doing more to support people who are educating our kids and keeping our neighborhoods safe.
2021, Border Patrol has encountered more than 1.3 million aliens at the southwest border trying to illegally enter the country. You yourself have acknowledged today that that remains a crime. Have you sent a letter or issued a memorandum to U.S. attorneys directing prosecution of these cases? No, and the reference of cases comes from the Department of Homeland Security, as I mentioned before. Look, you, you managed to issue a memorandum about parents showing up at school boards. Why can't you issue a memorandum regarding the million-plus people who illegally enter the country and encouraging your U.S. attorneys to prosecute those cases? They are there constantly. The time of the member, the time of the gentleman has expired. Uh, uh, Ms. Correa. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Attorney General, welcome and thank you for your good work. I wanted to turn. Do you agree with the National School Board Association, the parents who attend school board meetings and speak passionately against the inclusion of divisive programs like critical race theory should be characterized as domestic terrorists? I do not believe that uh, parents who uh, uh, testify, speak, argue with, complain about school boards and schools should be classified as domestic terrorists or any kind of criminals. Uh, parents have been complaining about the education of their children and about uh, school boards since there were such things as school boards and public education. This is totally protected by the First Amendment. I take your point that true threats of violence are not protected by the First Amendment. Those are the things we're worried about here. Okay, could I just Those are the only things we're worried about here. Okay, thank you so much for that. Is there a legal precedent for the Department of Justice to, investi to investigate peaceful protests or parent parental involvement at public school uh, meetings? Uh, uh, just to say again, we are not investigating peaceful protest uh, or parent involvement at school board meetings. There's no uh, precedent for we would never do that. We are concerned about violence, threats of ministers, staff, people like your mother, a teacher. That is what we're worried about. We are worried okay. about that across the board. We're worried Thank about you. threats against members of Congress. We're worried about threats against police. Thank you very much. Thank you much for that. I'm also begin in Virginia as the state's race for governor heads into its final stretch. With election day just nine days away, the race is being defined by two factors, education and Donald Trump, both themes of the Republican Party's drift into the land of lies and fear. Democrat Terry McAuliffe is busy reminding voters of his opponent Glenn Youngkin's ties to the former president. The Washington Post frames the stakes, writing, quote, McAuliffe has highlighted Youngkin's statements welcoming Trump's endorsement, his opposition to abortion, his opposition to vaccine or mask mandates, and his support for a focus on election integrity. McAuliffe's strategy is playing out as a new Monmouth University poll shows the race at a virtual tie in a state that typically leans blue. As the race tightens, Youngkin continues to throw red meat to the GOP base. This weekend, at a campaign rally, he promised to ban critical race theory in Virginia schools, even evoking a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. to make his point. But Youngkin is searching for a solution to a problem that does not exist. Critical race theory is not part of Virginia's K-12 school curriculum. The summer allowed in County Virginia became ground zero for our nation's culture war on what is and isn't taught in the classroom. Parents showed up to school board meetings in droves speaking out against critical race theory and a policy requiring teachers to address students by their preferred pronouns. 
Heated debates like this have turned into real-life threats against elected officials across the country. And now an elected prosecutor in Loudoun County finds herself in the middle of a firestorm over the arrest of a father accused of scuffling with deputies at a school board meeting in June. Dad showed up to the meeting looking for answers after his daughter reportedly was sexually assaulted at school. Right-wing media is stoking the flames, accusing the prosecutor of targeting the father. However, WUSA in Washington reports, quote, the prosecutor says deputies were unaware he was the father of an alleged school rape victim when they arrested him. And her office did not target the father, but accepted a referral for prosecution from the sheriff's office. Right-wing media has seized on the story, bending the truth, radicalizing the far right. And for the prosecutor, she's now receiving death threats because of the smear campaign. That prosecutor joins us now, Buda Bubere, the Commonwealth's attorney for Loudoun County. First, I want to start with the threats that How did a referral for prosecution from the sheriff's office turn into this conspiracy? It, it definitely was a, an interesting turn of events. Uh, as everybody knows, a prosecutor's office does not investigate cases. That comes from law enforcement. So the sheriff's office put together the investigation after the incident on June 22nd at the Loudoun County School Board, where there was a physical altercation between uh, the man that was arrested, as well as law enforcement officers. They chose then to charge him with two misdemeanor offenses, obstruction of justice, as well as um, indicating the fact that he had not complied with their directives. That was referred to us before we ever even knew about the incident with his daughter. So we took forward that case. It was presented to us based on affidavits uh, and criminal complaints sworn under oath by the officers. So we have to accept them as being the truth, which we did. And we've went forward on that prosecution because of the actions within that boardroom, which if you've ever seen the video, it really has the hint of the insurrection on January 6th as far as the, the mob mentality, the heated rhetoric, it just was a very unsafe situation that the officers found themselves in and they had to create some opportunity for calmness. We are seeing this vitriol aimed at local elected officials across the country. What is it like being an elected? Well, tonight, the National School Board Association is taking extraordinary action, sending an SOS to the White House and law enforcement. Members have been berated at meetings and threatened online over COVID safety protocols. Here, CBS's Jeff Pegues. School board officials are calling for help tonight. Writing to President Biden, the National School Boards Association asked for help investigating the violent incidents and suggested the FBI monitor threats to board members, likening these heinous actions to domestic terrorism. The impact of the pandemic on public schools is creating this, all this heightened rhetoric around the nation. And unfortunately, in some places, it's leading to threats and actual incidents of violence. Former Nevada School Board member Kurt Thigpen said that he resigned after the constant harassment over email, phone, and social media made him think about suicide. He cited the January 6th insurrection as a trigger for the unruly behavior. Across the country, schools are facing increased violence and threats, stemming in part from people frustrated by mask and vaccine mandates. This morning, the National School Boards Association is calling for federal action, describing the attacks against staff and students as a new form of domestic terrorism. The group calling on the Biden administration to provide federal assistance to local law enforcement agencies to monitor and prevent future threats. 
The um, Attorney General's memorandum is focused on, on threats, on intimidation. So do you see parents as a threat? I, you I see don't. parents asking. But Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark says public servants are under attack. She says the Justice Department stands by its recent memo directing the government to do more to protect school board members from what it sees as an escalating threat of violence. The government even wants people to report threats to the FBI's National Threat Operations Center, a group traditionally tackling terror threats. Parents that are fighting back. Parents, including a former journalist turned activist, tell Fox they have no plans to stay quiet. All we want is to protect our kids because we are parents. We are mama bears and papa. Let's turn now to new developments in a story we first brought you last week. A school board meeting in South Lake, Texas, getting heated after our reporting on a top administrator's controversial comments on the Holocaust caught on tape. The firestorm coming after the district gained attention nationally over its diversity plan. Here's Antonia Hilton. You say that I'm divisive, you're divisive. In South Lake, tensions high yet again. At I was subject to a rash of bullying almost all of which, which was anti-Semitic in nature. I received everything from jokes about my nose uh, to gas chambers. Jake Berman, former Southlake student who is Jewish, opened up about past bullying so severe, he says he contemplated suicide. His parents eventually pulling him from the school. The blame is right here in this room. The meeting, the first time residents could publicly raise concerns after the district sent teachers guidance to vet all books, instructing them to not allow singular narratives that could be considered offensive. Please help restore my faith in this district and in the school board. All of it in response to a new Texas law prohibiting teachers from offering perspectives that could make students feel anguish or guilt. Last week, NBC News obtained exclusive secretly recorded audio. In it, the director of curriculum, Gina Petty, to balance books about the Holocaust with an opposing view. Make sure that if, if, if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other... How do you oppose the Holocaust? Gina Petty did not respond to messages requesting comment. In response to Petty's remark, Carol's superintendent issued an apology, stating there are not two sides of the Holocaust and pledging to work with his staff to clarify the policy. Parents uh, expressed concern about the controversy. The teacher who was reprimanded over the book, those teachers who recorded the training session, and the administrator are all victims of this toxic environment. Berman urging more needs to be done to protect students and teachers. This is a crossroads for the state and for this district. One path is an opportunity to lead and be on the right side of history. The other will cost you and your children a quality education. A message he hopes. Uh, schools. Schools have now become one of the main messaging points, particularly for the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, and all of this. There's, he's framing it all as a fight over government's role in the classrooms and parents' rights. Parents' rights to be involved in the classroom. Really more about how race and racism are talking. So, David, I want to ask you, who, who is he talking to in all of this? A lot of parents. And, and Terry McAuliffe made a very foolish statement in his debate where he said parents should not be in charge of their kids' educations, which is going to set every parent's teeth on edge. I think there's a huge issue. I think this is a very bad issue for the Democrats. A lot of things people don't vote on. But if people feel their kids are being indoctrinated with this or that, then they're really angry, and they're getting really angry. Uh, and there's the angry people who are going to the, the school board meetings, but then there's normal anger of more uh, stable people. Uh, and, and, uh, and what's the underlying cause of what's happening here is that 
people in the, the median education school, they've gone a little further, not significantly further left in the last few years. The median parent has not gone significantly further left. So there's a culture gap in the values and the way we talk about history, the way we talk about sexual education, gender issues. The gap has opened up between the people who tend to be teachers and the people who tend to be parents. And that gap is now creating this conflict over whose values are going to be in the classroom. And so it's become a culture war. Uh, and I do think parents are extremely sensitive about this. Jonathan, what do you make of this? Well, Glenn Youngkin and Republicans are filling that gap that you're talking about with fear. Um, what Glenn Youngkin is doing is you know, talking about critical race theory. And let's be clear about something. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools, middle schools, or high schools anywhere in the United States. If it's taught at all, it is taught in law schools. So away from any parent's care. Yet, you know, yes, Terry McAuliffe walked right into it by saying what he said uh, at that debate uh, and handed Youngkin an issue. But the fact that we're having this conversation about critical race theory, it's become a catch-all for all of, the, uh, uh, all of the history that needs to be taught that makes white parents uncomfortable. And you put your finger on it. This is a conversation about race. And Youngkin is using race and fear as a way of trying to garner votes, pull out Trump voters, pull out uh, squishy Republican voters who might not um, want to vote for him, but they view this as an issue, as you know, uh, something that makes them angry. You're going to try to indoctrinate my children, as opposed to trying to teach your children the true history of this country. That's what. So there, let's run through, and I know it's a fucking lot. You got the Garland stuff, and he admits it. You have a whole walkout. There's more than white people there. You got Barack Obama. We don't. We don't give a fuck. Go fuck yourself. MSDNC demonizes parents. They're being radicalized by the far right. Uh, blackout parents protested DOJ for domestic terrorism, which brought about this letter right there that they apologize that they're full of shit. Uh, Net skip parents suing the AG. K part saying we don't teach CRT. Oh, we don't. My God in heaven, it is so. Much bullshit. Attorney General Merrick Garland has instructed the FBI to mobilize against parents. A.G. Garland just agreed that despite the letter from the National School Board Station, he does not see any basis for using the Patriot Act. Jim Jordan grills Garland. Jim Jordan. And here, um, here's an awkward moment at Capitol Hill before testimony of A.G. Garland, which Jim Jordan wanted to play a video. But Chairman Nathan wouldn't let it. There is a, such a rule. There is not. Chairman, what are you afraid of? What rule? Please present the rule. Mr. Chairman, what are you afraid of? Here's a video that Chairman Nalem wouldn't let him play. With local school board meetings growing more contentious. No, no. Let's go. I'm asking you to walk outside, sir. Attorney General Merrick Garland last week ordered the FBI to look into what he called a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board members and other K-12 educators. That followed a request from the National School Board Association for an investigation of what it called threats against its members, likening actions by some parents to, quote, domestic terrorism. This is absolutely unacceptable. In a modern 
modern democracy for the Attorney General of the United States to sick the FBI on parents concerned about their children's education, to begin to classify them at the behest of the National School Board Association as domestic terrorists is the end. It's the final line. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Let's call it what it is. They are saying that moms are now domestic terrorists because we are standing up for our children. CRT is racist, it is abusive, it discriminates against one's color. Just coming off of May 31st, marking the 100 years of the Tulsa riots, it is sad that we are even contemplating something like critical race theory, where children will be separated by their skin color and deemed permanently oppressors or oppressed in 2021. Two medical degrees, no mom, no dad in the house, worked my way through college, sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You gonna tell me somebody looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing that? Are you serious? I am not oppressed. I'm not oppressed and I'm not a victim. I have three children. They are not oppressed either, although they are victims. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. Sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. I have personally heard teachers teaching CRT and we have had an assembly shut down because Duval County Public School System consultant thought it would be a great idea to separate students by race. This is unacceptable. My child is five years old. All she should be thinking about is Barbie dolls and, and, and going to the pool with my wife and wrestling with her daddy. And I'm being told that you're gonna send, I'm gonna send my child to school and she's gonna be taught about the color of her skin. My five-year-old is being peddled transgender books in her library. Teenagers are being served pornography under the guise of young adult literature. Do something, be a leader. Because if you know what, the citizens of this county deserve better. I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed stat, uh, status in America because they are black is racist. And saying that white people are automatically above me, my children, or any child is racist as well. My child is not oppressed, and don't assume that. As long as you Marxists push your unconstitutional agenda on my child, she will not be returning back to Loudoun County schools. You cannot tell me what is or is not racist. Look at me. I quit your policies, I quit your trainings, and I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. This is not something that we can stand for in our country. And don't take it from me, look at the writers of these types of uh, publications. Our ancestors, white, black, and others hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America towards that more perfect union. If this continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate and that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. They don't want you to know it's everybody. It never happened. Jesse Single debunks AP photo caption of Vito Gassuni streaming Netflix walkout. That was all a lie. I don't know how I got in there. Connecticut Senate Democrats share cartoon making it abundantly clear how the Dem party feels about concerned parents. Going trick-or-treating? Going to a school board with people in zombies. Garland tells GOP rep Chip Roy they doesn't know any of the facts. These are multiple articles. Garland responds to Andy Biggs' memo questioning puts the Biden administration priorities in a nutshell. Biggs, have you issued a memorandum directing prosecution of the 1.3 million illegal border crossings? It's 1.7 now. They put it out. 
You managed to issue a memorandum about parents showing up at a school board. Why don't you issue one for illegal border crossings? Free Beacon NSBA officials collaborated with White House before the domestic terrorism letter went out to Merrick Garland. The National School Board Association letter specifically cited the father of a girl allegedly assaulted, for example, of threats of violence against teachers. Letter links to the story. Smith 48 Leesburg was charged with disorderly conduct, blah, 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 blah. Of course, the National School Board Association letter made no mention of why the father was angry. Exclusive. NSBA official collaborated with the White House in the weeks before the release of the infamous domestic terror letter. NSBA board members were upset by the letter. Email shows saying it inflamed tension. Of course it did. The Loudoun County superintendent deleted his account amid the report he knowingly lied about the rape, which is why the fucking father was there. Christina Pushtoff, fact drops, WAPO fact checker for smearing DeSantis for opposing DOJ member threatening to silence parents. Last week, Washington Post fact checker reached out to me to fact check DeSantis' statement opposing DOJ memo, which threatens to silence concerned parents exercising the First Amendment. The fact checker, hello, blank, of the Washington Post fact checker. I'm looking into several claims from Republicans about AG Garland to memo on threats to the safety of school officials, including Governor Sanders, blah, 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 blah. Where does the member say this? Where the DOJ announce this? Why leave that out? Here's the beginning of my response. I just thought it was important not to accept the framing. Interesting what the Washington Post is fact checking. Those who raise concern about the memo and overreach at the same time you're taking the statement at face value as though everyone everything the federal government asserts is a fact given the historical track record of the doj and fbi the premise of the fact check that these institutions should be trusted implicitly is absurd one would expect the press to hold powerful institutions like the doj fbi accountable rather than going after people challenging them it's all about the d in light of the proof that the superintendent the school boards lied cnn avoid Avoidance of the LCPS sexual assault scandal is even more egregiously shameful. Oliver Darcy is not clear from this thread stories on Garland memo, often a dishonest presentation of it, have saturated right-wing media over the last few weeks. And so now when the AG and city for Congress, he's being inundated with the questions about it. Only, dub, uh, only on WTOP, Loudoun County superintendent notified the school board the same day a female student was sexually assaulted. They knew. They lied. CNN's never covered it. Loudoun County School Board was informed of alleged sexual assault the day it happened. And then they said they never heard anything. Articles everywhere. White House knew about the letter. They worked with NSBA to make it. It was all show. It was all a lie. It was just, they know January 6th isn't working. They know COVID variant Zulu isn't working. They know they have no other premise to do this overreach of power. So they got to come up with a boogeyman. They eventually had to take the fucking, the chain link fence down the Capitol because nobody was attacking. Nobody ever attacked. It was instigated by FBA, FBI informants. Look at the video. That dude and his friends are not indicted. They came out in a story and then they scrubbed him off the most wanted list. So they apologize finally. We suck. It wasn't true. But journalists, Free Beacon, Bynamen taps School Board Association honcho for post to wake of infamous letter. Because he's a good guy. He'll go live for us. 
Fairfax County school enrollment still down 10,000 from pre-pandemic because people aren't going to send their kids there. School board's really cracking down on parents. The Loudoun County School Board meeting is underway. It will be a long night. Public comment will be one to five hours, 110 people scheduled to speak. Outrageous. Minnesota School Board prohibits parents from criticizing individual school officials and forces public commentators to reveal their home addresses, and it's on video. I just want to remind everyone this is a business meeting of the school board. It is not a meeting that belongs to the public. Each speaker is asked to state his or her name and address for the record. Failure to do so will result in an individual not being allowed to speak. John, can you give us your name and address, please? Um, My name is John Wicklin. I live in Mankato. Could I get your address, please, John? Um, I'd rather not, since you guys have it already. Don't give your address. You can't speak. And I get so much uh, property damage and eggs and everything else from fun people and their friends. John, you need to give your address. All right, I live on 5th Street. Excuse me? I live on 5th Street. House number? Thank you. All right. So are our kids safe? Um. Effective tonight, the school board will enforce the following guidelines. Open forum participants are prohibited from calling out or addressing any individual school board or school district staff member. If this occurs, open forum will be closed and the individual will not be allowed to participate in future open forums. Crowd noise or any sort of grandstanding during open forum, including applause, talking, hollering, or any outbursts will result in open forum being closed. Further, beginning at the November 1st school board meeting, open forum participation will be limited to those individuals who wish to speak to an item on the board agenda. The board agenda is always made available the Thursday prior to our meetings, and they are always on the district website. I added that second one on. But they're all about bullshit. If you're more outraged about the cost of Big Mac rising by 17 cents over last year than you are by damaging being done to our democracy and the undercutting of fundamental rights while you're being reassessed your perspective, Matt Dowd, WAPO, Glenn Kessler see a reason Biden and Dems should stop making their misleading claim about spending. Cinema remains opposed to tax increases on corporate and high earners per sources, and Dems are still hanging on a number of issues, climate change, medical expansion, gang cluster. Well, with no new taxes on the wealthy or corporations and assault fix, the White House may soon have to retire the misleading claim that the spending bill will cost zero dollars. But it, even with those things, it would have been zero dollars, boys and girls. Here's how many interviews Biden has given compared to Obama and Trump. At this point, 2009 and 17, Obama had 131 extensive interviews. Trump, 57. Biden has done 10. None since Labor Day and just once since May. But he's a good guy. And near attendance in the White House. She's his secretary. They just do what they want. It's not our world. It's their world, folks. And no more evident of these ties between the Democratic Party, the federal government, and our media complex being the mainstream and social media than this Netflix shit 
as we go into woke. Here you are, first lady. Education is still so important to you. Yes. For you to be at Northern Virginia Community College. That's right. That's right. How are you able to balance all of that? I just wanted to continue teaching, and I thought, why not? I'm there um, two days a week. I teach writing. And uh, the other days, I'm in my White House office. So it just works, and it makes me so happy. And to be at a community college, and I don't have to tell you that some people are concerned with the social spending bill that is being reported that free tuition at community college may have to be taken out of the bill. For families that were hoping for that, what would you say to them? I uh, indeed. And if the irony of it is, of course, that West Virginia is a state that needs uh, rem remediation on climate and on many of the effects of, of more than many other states in the nation. Uh, thank you so much. Good to see you, Cal. I want to also ask you about climate, because there's a new report from the U.S. intelligence, a new analysis and assessment that is warning the White House that climate change is posing a, a major national security threat. Uh, but a key pillar of the president's climate program, the clean energy program, is going to be dropped because of opposition from Senator Manchin. Now, you come from a state that has... Democratic Senator Joe Manchin's home state. Manchin today saying no way to yet another potential climate change provision in the president's sweeping social... But back home in West Virginia, climate change has become a growing threat to West Virginians. Floodwaters submerged people, cars, and homes in what was dubbed the thousand-year flood. The town of Clendenin, West Virginia, almost wiped off the map in 2016. And this past summer, parts of the state saw more flooding. From raging, deadly floods to widespread drought, West Virginians over the past few years have faced weather whiplash, and scientists predict it will get worse. Look around the small West Virginia town of Clendenin, and it's still without a grocery store, bank, and elementary school. Yet Senator Joe Manchin is blocking the most aggressive climate change legislation in U.S. history. But even in the face of severe weather and its costly destruction, neither Raider nor Richard blame climate change. I'm not buying into the whole climate change thing. So if somebody said, in order to make sure a flood like this never hits your community again, we need to... What would you say? Let it flood again. In the second largest coal-producing state in the nation, climate change is a complicated issue. Senator Joe Manchin, one of the key lawmakers blocking the most aggressive parts of climate legislation that would drastically curb greenhouse emissions linked to climate change, is currently ranked the top congressional recipient of campaign donations from the coal, mining, and fossil fuel industry. Manchin's personal investment in Enersystems, a coal brokerage company he founded and later put in a blind trust, is valued between one and five million dollars. Will you be okay knowing that West Virginia could continue to get hit by severe flooding because we as a country failed to curb? Climate change is so complicated here in West Virginia because um, West Virginians perceive it as a direct attack on their livelihoods. Um, but it's also interesting too that in action of our business our next guest was 17 years old when an unwanted pregnancy landed her in a Texas courtroom before a judge. That is because she did not have the required parental consent for a minor to get an abortion. So as if on trial, she had to plead her case. Veronica Granado joins me now. And Veronica, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure that this was one of the most difficult decisions of your life. 
Tell us about it. Do you have any regrets about having an abortion? Um, I absolutely have no regrets. And actually, that's a, a great question because um, a lot of people assume that, you know, abortion is something to regret or something that is, you know, extremely traumatic. Um, the only part in my case was having to go through this extremely difficult process, you know, going in front of a judge in a setting that most criminals go through. So I felt like I was a criminal. Um, but other than that, my abortion saved my life. It allowed me to go to college and become an engineer and pursue the dreams that I had um, before I got pregnant. And I was able to continue that after my pregnancy. And if you hadn't gotten it, what do you think your life would have been like then? Um, it would have definitely been um, a lot harder. I'm not sure if college would still be in the class because as a teen, um, as a coming from a working class family, it was difficult to get resources to be able to support me going to college as well as um, supporting myself. And so I'm not sure if that would have been in the question, but I know that I would have needed to get a job and kind of push college aside for a long while before that happened. The process that landed you in court can take many weeks. And with the six week limit under current Texas law, um, you would lose that option of a legal abortion. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, that's a great question because uh, for me, it's just an extremely terrifying and um, a terrifying situation because in my case, I found out that I was pregnant about six weeks and the judicial bypass process took me two weeks. So even though I found out as early, as early as I possibly could, the process forced me to take an additional two weeks to be able to actually get that procedure done. And so for a lot of people, six weeks is a lot earlier than they are able to find out they are pregnant. And so for me, I was fortunate enough to find it that early on. But in the age of SB8 and what's been going on now, it's going to make it impossible to be able to obtain an abortion within six weeks. What was going through your mind as you stood in front of the judge who would make the most important decision of your life? Yeah, um, that's a, a great question. It's extremely relevant because the point of a judicial bypass process is just to intimidate. When you look at some of what's happening around the state right now, you don't think that any of this has gone off the rails? Oh, I think folks need to focus on what's in the bill and not what's in other states or what they've heard or, or things like that. And if we were to tell a little white children that they are inherently oppressors, that's not good. If we tell little children of color that they are inherently victims, neither one of those is good. Was that the primary motivation for these laws, to make yes. sure that white kids don't feel guilty? So the bill is pretty clear. It would be wrong to tell white kids or children of color that they are limited based on the color of their skin or that they are guilty of because of what people of their race did in the past. What about the teachers who say they're closing their classroom libraries or Dr. Whitfield, the principal here who's about to lose his job? I would just ask folks to look at the words of the bill. The words of the bill matter, not the Facebook meme. So let's start with that back and forth you had with that lawmaker because he keeps saying what's in the bill. And he keeps saying, we're going to prevent kids from feeling like they're oppressed or, 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 or they're oppressors. Where was this happening? Like, this has been sort of where I keep it. Was, did, did somebody actually teach this anywhere in school? Because I haven't found any evidence of working at this a long time. Have you? Well, I asked him that question actually directly, Chuck. And what he told me was, we were hearing reports, we got phone calls from parents, but I have spent the entirety of this year 
in Texas, going back and forth in the North Texas area, reporting on what we're seeing happen in that community and other communities nearby. And I have not been able to find one verifiable piece of evidence that critical race theory made its way into Texas schools or other schools throughout the United States for that matter. It's a graduate level concept, a really a law school course. It's not taught in K through 12. And so what I think is so important in that conversation with uh, Senator Hughes there is that, you know, I'm asking him to grapple with, right, the, the tangible impacts that a law that he's just authored that has been passed uh, is now having on people's lives. And he's repeating language in the bill and repeating beliefs about what he thinks is happening in the classroom. And I'm trying to contrast that, right, with, well, here's what's actually happening. Here's what teachers are saying they're experiencing. Right. Here's an educator about to lose his job. And it's not clear that what you're describing. Why is he breaking my sign? Why is he breaking my Wow, looks like I've sure got myself in a sticky situation. I wonder how I'll get out of this one. Why do I keep getting in trouble? Why do I keep doing these things I do? Why can't I just be like every other YouTuber that sits around and makes stupid 20-minute videos about Super Mario speedruns or whatever else? No! I have to go out and get in trouble. And today, oh my god, guys, I'm in a lot of trouble. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe to my channel. It really helps me out. We're trying to grow Vito Nation. So every one of you who clicks that button, I appreciate you more than you could ever know. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I want to kiss you on the mouth. Okay, I'm going a little over. This is an article for some, and for the intro, we have them whining about climate change, being told they need to look at what CRT is, and a short segment from the guy got attacked because he went to the few people that went and did the walkout at Netflix, and the media sound that was used. But uh, share America. Why do Americans list pronouns on social media profiles? And that's the priority of the State Department. Today on International Pronoun Day, we share our many people list pronouns on their email and social media. A border crisis, mass shortage in labor, consumer goods, skyrocketing inflation, 13 dead service members in a botch of Afghanistan withdrawal, 10 innocent people, including seven kids murdered in a horrific drone strike executed to make us appear strong. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But pronouns, State Department. They even went to the in here this week, Congressman Fred Keller. Why are women held positioned disproportionately affected by COVID-19? In his statement, that's a question you should take up with Randy Weigarten. Men die more, but they're not going to do it. They're not even going to acknowledge that it's there because we're in a, we're just in fucking la-la land. It's all about what they believe, not what they think. This is all over. No wonder we have climate fucking fear. This is what it would look like if climate change isn't done. We're underwater. They've been saying this since I was a little kid. Sunrise movement cancels appearance at D.C. statehood because Jewish people were there. But that's not. That's not racist. On the day China did a supersonic missile 
Office of DNI. Today, ODNI released a national intelligence estimate on the implication of fucking climate change. Yeah. That, that's what we need to be worried about. Sure. Okay. Okay. We'll get right on it, you fucking morons. This guy. Dressed. Man charged child porn of allegedly dressing like a woman, taking pictures in Retchum Outlet Bathroom. Every day there's one of these. You're not going to hear it, though. Because let's be honest. It's against the agenda. This is what they're running for. They changed history. How? I haven't been reading the paper. Will this documentary film tell me if he won or lost? I'm putting the over-under for Rotten Tomato audience score of 3%. DC comic employees unload for ruining Superman. Netflix may become a stigma brand, NBC New Hour says. The backlash against Dave Chappelle. Yeah, that's going to happen. They have more gay shit than they have straight shit. Literally. That's not me being a homophobe. That's just a reality. They are the gay network. Look at this fucking shit. The Anti-Defamation League. Halloween is a week away and you and your family might be brainstorming costume ideas. Check out our resources for reminders about how and why to avoid cultural appropriation, cultural stereotypes, and costumes that perpetuate gender norms. Yeah, that's what parents are thinking about because they don't have fucking money for gas. They're really concerned about that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where we're at. That's that's so, so important. It's so important. Yes. It's what we think about every day. Biden administration, because they can't get it passed right, the White House gender equity plan calls for elimination of cash bail. POTUS is claiming that eliminating cash bail for violent criminals is critical to promoting gender equity and equality. What the fucking hell? What has that got to do with anything? Danielle Compompore. Friendly reminder that it's super easy to explain abortion to kids. My seven-year-old knew what it was and that his mom had one when he was four. Mom was pregnant when she didn't want to be. A doctor helped her. Then she was pregnant when she wanted to be and had me. That's simple. Yeah, I never hid from the shame. Scripture is precisely hiding it. You killed a fucking human being. Portland is now the first to offer bereavement leave for employees after they have an abortion. City Council unanimously approves the changes earlier this month. Whoa, 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 whoa! I thought that was the pathway to becoming a woman. You're not a woman unless you kill your fucking baby. That's what you tell us. Or is it just me? I don't know. You fucking people are ghouls. You're all fucking ghouls. So, usually I do This Is America, which is negative, and I end on a negative note, and I... The wife, I came home one day, and the wife was watching my podcast, which was kind of cool, and I caught the idea to do something positive. So, A, we're going to cover how the media ignored an illegal, we're going to cover 
the mother of all caravans and show you NBC who's not. And then Molly Hemingway. It's telling the truth bombs. Tonight, we're following what could be a new surge of tens of thousands of migrants heading to the southern border. Just as we've learned, this year's surge has shattered all previous records with nearly two million migrants crossing the border. Julia Ainsley has more. Just a month after these stunning scenes from a Texas border bridge, another reminder of the record-shattering migrant surge. New data obtained by NBC News shows over 1.7 million undocumented immigrants were apprehended at the border over the last year, the highest total in American history. And tonight, U.S. officials monitoring tens of thousands more who may soon be making their way north. Miles de migrantes de diversas nacionalidades que se encuentran varados en la frontera sur en México, esto es con Guatemala, se preparan para ir marcha hacia Estados Unidos, que algunos incluso ya le están catalogando como la madre de todas las caravanas. Se espera que mañana a las 6 de la mañana salga de aquí esta caravana, la que algunos llaman la madre de todas las caravanas. Llama mucho la atención la cantidad de migrantes que estarían participando en esta, que efectivamente ya llaman... La madre de todas las caravanas. Es que el número de manifestantes es incierto, pero se calcula que marcharán la mayoría de los 95 mil extranjeros migrantes en suelo mexicano a la espera de papeles para seguir hacia los Estados Unidos en busca de asilo. Importante recalcar que la semana pasada cuando le hicimos precisamente esa pregunta al secretario de Seguridad Nacional, Alejandro Mallorcas, dijo que ellos estaban siguiendo muy de cerca todos estos movimientos migratorios y que simplemente si esta caravana trataba país que no iba a tener éxito. Eso fue lo que dijo de manera enfática. Vamos a caminar y no es caravana, es un éxodo de la injusticia, un éxodo de la pobreza, un éxodo por la dignidad de la población. We can tell you tonight that the 35-year-old Congolese man who apparently raped this woman, his name is Fiston Ngoy, has a criminal record and shouldn't have been here in the first place. He was on an overstayed student visa. He should have been deported. This should never have happened. He should not have been here. And the only reason he was is because he and a lot of people like him have been invited here and allowed to stay by the people who run the country, but who don't ride the train. This particular man first came to the United States in 2012. He's on a student visa. Now that visa ended in 2015 because he was no longer a student. Court records show that Nagoya racked up, quote, multiple arrests and two misdemeanor convictions, one for controlled substances and one for sexual abuse. Okay, so here's someone in the country illegally who is convicted of sexual abuse and drugs, but he's still here. So why aren't the people who allowed him to remain here in jail themselves? They certainly should be. Now, this guy was put into immigration detention back in January of 2018, but he never got deported because the immigration legal system decided that he should receive a special removal Oh, so he got what's called a withholding of removal from an immigration judge two years ago, back in 2019. According to court documents, that decision came after, quote, the Board of Immigration Appeals found that the petitioner's misdemeanor sex offense was not a, quote, serious crime, just a minor sex offense. And therefore, he was ineligible for withholding from, from removal. So to recap. You can walk into our country at the invitation of our leaders at public expense. Stay your visa and in so doing mock our laws. Then you can get busted for drugs and a sex crime, not deported, allowed to stay. And then you'll go on, probably inevitably at this point, to rape a woman on a train in full view of a crowd that does nothing to stop it. 
Fox News exclusively learns that the man accused of raping a woman on a Philadelphia train was never deported after being released from immigration detention. Fiston Nugoy came to the U.S. in 2012 on a student visa, but it was terminated in 2015 after he failed to remain. Court records show he racked up multiple arrests and two misdemeanor convictions, including one for sexual abuse. But he was not deported after a Board of Immigration Appeals found the sex offense was not a serious crime. And per exclusive reporting via the Tucker Carlson Tonight team, the suspect had a criminal record and had originally come to the U.S. on a student visa, which was terminated in 2015. In 2017, Noy pled guilty to a sexual abuse misdemeanor and was sentenced to 120 days in prison. He was never deported because the Board of Immigration Appeals determined his misdemeanor sex offense was not a serious crime. Noy and I think the most outrageous part of this is a prior arrest for drugs, a prior con a a conviction for drugs conviction for sexual abuse and a judge saying it's not a serious crime now I suspect and I, I you know if I were a gambling woman I would say a misdemeanor first-time sexual abuse probably started as a felony they gave and he's still in the country and he's here illegally and no one's gonna send him home welcome back it's no secret that our immigration system is in desperate need of reform but the alleged sexual assault of a woman last week on a train in Philadelphia by an immigrant here illegally has exposed one of the most obvious flaws. When someone is here illegally and they commit a crime and serve time for it, that should be cause enough to deport them, period. The suspect, Fiston Nego, Negoy, had previously pled guilty to sexual abuse and served four months. Somehow a judge decided that crime wasn't, quote, serious enough for deportation. I think this is a striking failure in our legal system. Now, I'm not going to give this the Fox News treatment and claim this shows you that anyone and everyone uh, here without proper documentation is evil. Or the MSNBC CNN treatment, which is to ignore the story or at least this part of it. It just seems like common sense that when someone is here illegally, commits a sex crime and serves time, that person doesn't just get sent home. What is the definition of not serious enough? Nagoy came to the U.S. legally in 2012 as on a student visa. The 35-year-old Congolese Nationals visa was terminated in 2015 because he failed to remain a student. Meanwhile, court records show they racked up multiple arrests and two misdemeanor convictions. Nagoy was convicted of drug possession in 2015, pled guilty in 2017 to a sexual abuse misdemeanor, after he groped two women on the street near a homeless shelter where he was staying. He would go on to serve 120 days in jail. Now, he was put in immigration detention in 2018, but was never deported because he received a, quote, withholding of removal from an immigration judge after the Board of Immigration Appeals found that his misdemeanor sex offense was not a, quote, serious crime that would have made him ineligible to stay in the United States. He just had the provision that he had to check in with immigration authorities. All right. When a woman was raped by a stranger on a commuter train last week, police say there were a number of bystanders who watched it happen. And they did not only fail to intervene, they also didn't even bother to call the cops. Now is Alex Piquero. He's a criminologist at the University of Miami. Alex, how does something like this happen? Good morning, John. I, I wish you and I weren't having this conversation, to be quite honest. I think that there are probably three things here. The first one is 
Some people may have been concerned about retaliation. Let me ask you, in your book, you adopt the Trumpian term fake news, which of course has become part of the culture. So you're right. In 20, by 2020, the media were particularly camp, or excuse me, let me do that again. The media were practically campaigning for Joe Biden. Of collusion not seen even during the Obama era. Now, the word collusion goes a bit far for me, but the practically supporting part, right on target. And you say it was an outgrowth of four years of Trump coverage. It was, um, I have just never seen anything like this. We saw, we've known bias exists for a very long period of time. You go back to Eisenhower to have Republican presidents complaining about it. But between 2016 and 2020, something else changed entirely. It was not just bias, but propaganda. It was invention of fake news based on nothing but anonymous sources, things that were refuted on the record by dozens of people, such as the lie that Donald Trump had claimed that um, he didn't go to Einmarn Cemetery for weather, which was what actually happened, but because he secretly hated dead American soldiers. That was such a lie that it got spread into like presidential debates. At the same time, the media were doing something that was the most horrific thing of the entire campaign, suppressing a story that would have hurt their favorite candidate, Joe Biden. There was legitimate news about the Biden family business that the media went out of their way to lie about, again, calling it Russian disinformation, and not cover when it was very important that the American people know whether or not the person that they were thinking about electing had a, had a family business that was open to corruption by funding from foreign oligarchs or other people with nefarious and the media just suppressed that story and lied about it this is this is you cannot have free and fair elections when you're in this kind of environment with our media they'll cover that but they won't cover an illegal and the victim was black so yes as we start with brian seltzer gnashing teeth Ron DeSantis is right Whatever you get from the media, you should go confirm because nine times out of 10, it's utter bullshit. It's not grounded in fact. They just make shit up and it's all narrative. I mean, just since January of this year, really count in your head all the lies from January 6th to why they were putting up a fence, that there were white supremacists and Boogaloo Boys and Proud Boys and all these other agencies coming to kill you when none of that was true. Parents are terrorists. We're not teaching CRT. Sweet googly goo. The list goes on. Now we find that Facebook didn't like that Breibart news was trending. So they just suppressed it. And it became a story. But why is it a story? You don't think that happens? And the thing that's so crazy about all this is that every time we turn around... This is happening. I take all those pictures where you showed those live pictures of Joe Biden breathing on strangers, coughing up phlegm and smearing it on people with his hands. That's the real hacking scandal. Look at the Russians. It was Joe Biden's lungs. Repulsive. The White House responds? Well, I hope so. It's constant. And this is the last thing before McAuliffe. Look at the crowd. Supposed to be 2,500, the campaign said. There wasn't 2,500 people there. Almost everything they shoot is close. And when you shoot it close, it's because you don't want to show that there's no crowd there. 
So verify everything because everything they're saying right now, excuse me, is spin. It's lies. It's deceit. It's not true. And shame on them. Shame on them. Oh, shit. That's huge. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends and go to foppodcast.com, which is really huge right now. And see this episode and every other episode with links to SoundCloud and Rumble. Take care of yourself out there. Disconnect from your devices. Verify what you want. Stock up because it's just going to get worse. And tune in next Wednesday, the 3rd of November, Year of Our Lord 2021, for another exciting episode. Thanks for listening.